2020, episode 210. Have 2020 Vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. Hey guys, it is Ray Eaton here. Thank you for joining me on another day of the 2020 election, and um, I've been looking around for some articles and stuff, and I found one that was pretty interesting. It says, it's from thehill.com, and it's about Medicare for All and different candidates in their shifting positions, I guess you would say, on Medicare for All, and it's actually telling what they say about Medicare for All, because and just Medicare for some, what these candidates say about that, because it kind of shows you specifically what they're trying to do in their incremental steps towards a complete takeover of the healthcare system in some ways. And that's what I've been stressing for a long time, like the progressive agenda, um, not specifically the Democrats' agenda, but I mean, a lot of Democrats now are very progressive, so we can say that. The progressive agenda, the far-left agenda, is to incrementally bring forth what they want. So what they do, it's a psychological thing. It's a national psychological thing where they have, like, the really far-left people become a... start start pushing, like, a very far-left idea, like um, Medicare for all. Like, that was not a normal conversation to have in 2012, 2008, 2014. But in 2015, <clears throat> Bernie Sanders starts talking about Medicare for all. And he was a far left candidate, but he became mainstream in some way because by 2016, that's what you start hearing. And now in 2018, candidates were running on it in the, in the Democratic tickets. People like AOC got elected on things like that. And now you have an entire group on the Democratic stage that are for Medicare for All. Most of them are for Medicare for All as an, as an ideal, as something they want to get to, where a single-payer system is what they want. And then other ones say, oh, no, I think we should have, Medicare, have public options, something that we can have. But let's get back to the history of this whole national healthcare debate in the first place. And not the whole history. The history goes back to the 40s and 50s. It goes back, I think they were talking about it in like the 50s and 60s where they were trying to get some kind of national single-payer system like what Canada has or some sort of national health services system like what England has. We're not going to go back that far. But if you guys, I don't know if every one of you remembers, but this is, you know, 11 years ago, Barack Obama got elected, and his signature first move was to start pushing for Obamacare. And it was modeled on the idea of Mitt Romney's thing that he got got through in uh, Massachusetts, Romney Care. And the idea was simply... 
Make it mandatory that everybody has health insurance. It's a law that you have to have health insurance in Massachusetts. And then there was other things that went along with that. They had these little exchanges, these places where normal people can go that don't have a job. People that might have a job, but people that can't get it through their employer. You have these little exchanges where you can go and you can buy health care or health health insurance. Not health care, because we got to remember, you have to separate health care and health insurance. Two different things. Health insurance, this is what insurance should be. It should be you get into it, like, for example, you get into a car accident and it's not your fault. You get knocked out. You get knocked, you know, your car is totaled and the other person has insurance to cover you in case of an accident and vice versa. You get into an accident, smash into a tree. It's insurance. You got, you just had a, something that was unpredictable and the insurance company comes and they stroke you a check for, to pay off your car. And then if you have a car that you just bought brand new and you bought it for 20 grand and it's only worth 12 grand, then they give you $12,000. So you get extra insurance, a supplemental insurance called gap insurance to cover the difference, but unexpected things. And that's what insurance is. So we have to that's what insurance should be. Life insurance, same thing. You get a 20-year policy or a 25-year policy for $100,000. The insurance company is betting on the idea that you're not going to die in the next 20 years. And you're betting that if I happen to die, if something happens catastrophic and I happen to die, that I'll have that hundred grand that go to my family to help pay for some living expenses in my funeral and then so they can move on. It's something that's is unexpected. Health insurance in America is not ex- exactly that though. Health insurance in America is like a maintenance plan on your car. You go to the car lot, you go and you buy yourself a brand new car and they say, okay, so do you have insurance? Yes. So if the car gets smashed, I'm covered. But then I go into the finance office and they say, you know what? We have this really great maintenance plan for you as well. It's going to cost $3,000. It'll cover you for the first 36,000 miles. It's going to cover all of your oil changes, all of your regular scheduled maintenance. Actually, usually they're like 100,000 miles, I think. So it's going to cover all your regular scheduled maintenance. So now you have insurance to cover in case there's a catastrophic accident. And you have a maintenance plan that's going to cover the maintenance that goes along with it. And you might even get gap coverage to cover it. If you get into an accident before and the car is only worth, you know, the $20,000 car, it depreciates $5,000 in value. So the insurance company is only going to pay up to $15,000. So you get gap coverage to cover the rest. So you just bought three different things in order to, just in case there's an emergency, or you also just had the other coverage so that you can get the regular scheduled maintenance as well. And on top of that, your car company might give you, you might have a 36,000 mile warranty bumper to bumper. So if anything goes wrong with the vehicle, that's covered as well. Like those are things that, that's what insurance is. You get lots of different packages in order to 
meet the demand that you have. But you might be too cheap. You might say, you know what? I'm not going to get gap coverage. That's too expensive. I might not get the maintenance plan because I can go down to Jiffy Lube and get it done for 30 bucks. So there's different things that you're going to do in the car world in order to cover that. Life insurance, same concept. You're going to have different things for different people depending upon what your needs are. Insurance, though, is not quite that. But that's what... So, we, but that's what I'm getting at. We have to separate the insurance from the health care. Health care is different. Health care is kind of like going to the car dealership to get an oil change. You know, you're going there, you're getting a checkup. Should your insurance cover that? Because it does, it makes the insurance premiums higher. You're going to get one or two checkups a year. During those checkups, it's going to cost. You know, that checkup to talk to that doctor, if I, if I know what mine's billed at, it's like 200 bucks to go talk to a doctor. So the insurance company is going to cover that all. But, you know, I think it's like one checkup a year is free. So that's automatically $200 that's being paid to a doctor on my behalf by an insurance company. What if I said, you know what, I don't want the free insurance, the free doctor's visit. All I want to do is have it, if I end up in a hospital and the bill's over five grand, y'all cover the difference. I'll cover everything up to $5,000. They don't have those plans anymore as much. There's so many specifics that you have to have. The insurance company has to charge you a specific amount because there's so many mandatory things that the federal government has put on there. But anyway, getting back to the Medicare for All, it was based upon the idea of the Romney Care thing. The, the original Obamacare was based upon the Romney care thing over in Massachusetts. And that's the history of it, right? So now Obama gets elected. He says, you know what? I got, this is solid, man. I have a Republican governor who supported Romney care in his state. It's a Republican idea. It's something that was talked about by the Republicans as a great idea. Just make it a mandatory that you have to have insurance. And then just have an exchange where if you are, do have insurance, or if you can't get insurance, that we're going to take care of that for you. We're going to give you a subsidy if you can't afford it. Things like that. That's a great idea. It's, a, it's supported by the Republicans. Democrats, that's an incremental step towards what we really want anyway. But they never said that it's an incremental step, just so you know. But I do know this for a fact, because there was articles written about it that said that they were trying to get towards incremental steps towards a single-payer system at some point. A national system at some point. But that's not where they're going right now. They're just trying to get... push the ball forward a couple of yards, you know? Obamacare. They get that through. And with Obamacare, they said, you know what? The thing is, is if we're going to make it so that anybody... everybody has to have insurance, but what about people with pre-existing conditions? They won't be able to get insurance... So instead of doing something crazy, like just saying, you know what, anyone that has a pre-existing condition can sign up for a public plan or something like that, that's going to be X amount of dollars. Instead of doing something like that, they just said, you know what, by law, all insurance companies cannot discriminate against somebody based upon a pre-existing condition. And the insurance company says, whoa, hold on a second there, buddy. So you mean to tell me someone does not have insurance... But they got diagnosed with cancer yesterday. 
So they automatically go and they get insurance. And I can't say no about that. Whoa, that sounds crazy to me. That is something that we're not going to be able to go along with. That's going to bankrupt us because nobody will get insurance until they have that catastrophe, you know, that catastrophic situation where it's going to cost them a fortune. They'll just keep paying the penalties. They'll pay the hundred dollars, you know, a couple thousand dollars a year in penalties or the thousand dollars a year in penalties in order to not have to get insurance until there's something that. You know, that, that's that's the idea that you can't go smashed up your car and then walk across the street from the State Farm and say, hey, man, can you go ahead and insure that for me? They'll say, yeah, we'll insure it for you, but it's not going to cover this accident, pre-existing condition. That's the way it would be. So anyway, government comes in, they say, you know what, we'll, we'll just make a law. It's a law. You have to have insurance, and the law says that insurance companies cannot... cannot um, or that, that the insurance companies have to insure you even if you have a pre-existing condition. And on top of that, we'll have an exchange. That was that was the way that it was sold. It gets through on a Christmas night. I think they had a a vote on it or something. And it got through with only Democrats supporting it. Senate, same thing. Only Democrats support it. And then it gets through. And then we start seeing the weakness of the Obamacare exchanges and we start seeing the weakness of Obamacare overall and the promise was you could keep your doctor if you like your doctor you could keep him and you couldn't keep him that was like the biggest thing the doc then also the idea that insurance premiums should come down because everyone's going to be insured so you're going to have economies of scale that shows that when you have economies of scale the insurance companies are going to bring the prices down for you but they continued to go up and on top of that, your insurance got worse. You had less options. You had higher premiums. You had higher deductibles. Everything got worse. All the normal insurance that you had got worse. And the prices went up. So you got less coverage for a higher price. And you couldn't go to your doctor. Not everyone couldn't go to their doctor, but you guys know what I mean. Like, there wasn't guarantees on that. And then now, so that was going on. So everyone says, well, we need to tweak it. We need to fix it. And then Donald Trump gets elected on the idea that he's going to go ahead and just get rid of Obamacare, which he never did. The, the Republicans voted on it constantly under Obama, that they were going to vote to get rid of Obamacare. And then as soon as Donald Trump gets into office, they won't do votes on it. They won't do votes on it because it's... Once a government program is in place, it never goes away. Ever. Because somebody is making money off of that. So they're going to be out there trying to protect that money. As soon as a government program goes into place, as soon as a law gets passed, it never goes away. Somebody gets entrenched in profiting off of that. And somebody was. And now the Democrats or the Republicans are in control. Of the House, the Senate, and and the presidency, and they didn't go through with getting rid of Obamacare. Whether it was good or not, that was the promise that they made, and they did not keep it. So anyway, then you have the 2016 elections also on top of that, and Bernie Sanders is talking about Medicare for all. And it becomes, it's a fringe idea at the time. 
people had talked about it for a long time, but it was a, still a fringe idea. It was something that everyone knew they wanted to get to, but nobody wanted to talk about it. Because you always heard single payer. But Bernie Sanders bring it to the front and center on the campaign trail. And that's what he was looking for. He was looking for that incremental step again. But that's not an incremental step to go from Obamacare to Medicare for all. So in the 2020 elections right now, all of the candidates, ideally they support Medicare for all. Like if you said, hey, ultimately in 20 years, are you okay with Medicare for all? They would all raise their hand, yes. There's not one of them that would take an, a stand and say, oh no, that's not, a, that's not constitutional at all. That is not constitutional for the government to provide that. None of them would take that stance. Not a single one of them. All of them in their heart of hearts are okay with a Medicare for all system. Because they think government's going to do it better than the private sector. They think government is going to be able to take care of the people better than people can take care of themselves or their families. So anyway, now that's what you're looking at, Medicare for all. That's what they're all talking about. That's the history of it. That's the main history of it. But the article that I found is what I wanted to talk, what I wanted to bring to you guys today. And it was basically just saying, Warren and Buttigieg shift stances battle and battle over Medicare for all. This is on thehill.com, October 22nd, 2019. And it says, presidential candidates are shifting their positions on Medicare for all as they battle for different wings of the party. South Bend, Indiana Governor Pete Buttigieg praised Medicare for All earlier this year, but is now attacking Senator Elizabeth Warren for supporting the plan as he tries to become the favorite of more moderate voters who have mostly flocked to former Vice President Joe Biden. Like I said in yesterday's show, he's trying to go towards a more moderate voter. Meanwhile, Warren previously expressed openness to different pathways towards Medicare for All, including optional buy-ins. She has since pivoted to a full-throated defense of a single-payer system, a move that could help her avoid being outflanked from the left by Senator Bernie Sanders. So uh, Warren is going for the far-left people. She thinks that she can win that vote. Buttigieg is going for the moderate people with a... Medicare for some, Medicare for those who can afford it, Medicare for those who want it plan, whereas Elizabeth Warren wants the Bernie Sanders idea, which is Medicare for all, no matter what, with no payments or anything like that. The costs are going to come down, blah, blah, blah. Then it says, those new stances were on display in last week's Democratic debate when Buttigieg engaged Warren in a high-profile clash over Medicare for all. With Warren defending the progressive proposal, Buttigieg attacks it. The shift also illustrates, illustrates how Medicare for All has emerged as perhaps the leading point of contention among the White House, White House hopefuls, with the progressives' wing doubling down on its support for mo- more moderate candidates increasingly going on the attack. So, Buttigieg going on the attack, Warren defending it. But where is their heart of hearts, right? Where is it? That's what I want to. That's what I want to get at. Where is the heart of hearts of Pete Buttigieg? Because that's what that's what you want to know. So this is what Pete Buttigieg said on Twitter last year. He says, I, Pete Buttigieg, politician. So he's like specific about this. I, Pete Buttigieg, politician, do henceforth and forthwith declare. So in the past and in the future, declare 
most affirmatively and indubitably unto the ages that I do favor Medicare for all as I do favor any measure that would help get all Americans covered. He wrote on Twitter. He also defended single payer as a compro- or a compromise position. Compromise position on MSNBC as recently as February. So he was going the route of the trying to take the left. He was trying to take that left or left side, which is interesting. Warren, for her part, counterattacked at last week's debate by deriding Buttigieg's optional plan as Medicare for all who can afford it. But anyway, so then, okay, so I, I totally missed an entire paragraph. That's what I wanted to get at next. This is what it says about Pete Buttigieg's campaign. His campaign argues that he has not changed his position on Medicare for all, saying he has always supported Medicare for all as an end goal. Keyword. He's always supported Medicare for all as an end goal, but that his optional plan allows for a gradual glide path in the meantime. He just said it. That's what he just said. It's a gradual guide path in the meantime. Incremental step towards Medicare for all. So listen, listen up closely. I'm going to start, I'm going to get to the end of the show now, but listen closely. They are all about taking inches. They are all about taking a couple of yards at a time. They're on the 10-yard line. They're in the middle of our red zone. They're trying to get to the touchdown. They're trying to get a goal. They have 10 yards to go, and they want an incremental step every single time, no matter what. That is their end game. That's what they want. It says it right there. The Pete Buttigieg campaign, oh, yeah, we're for Medicare for all, but this is just a compromise in the meantime. This is just a step along the path. It's a glide path. It allows for it's a gradual guide path. Glide path. That's what they're saying. They want to get to the touchdown. They want their Medicare for all, but Medicare for all will not be good enough for them either, because the there's going to be break breakdowns in that system also, because people are going to be trying to get they're they're trying they're going to try to scam the system. There's going to be people that are doing it. There's going to be businesses that are doing it. There's going to be hospitals that are going to do it. Hospitals are going to shut down that can't afford to stay open because they're getting 60 cents on the dollar from what they normally would get paid because their billing departments are having a hard time billing things out because it keeps getting denied by Medicare. There's going to be so much corruption within that system. It's just the way that it is because there's not a profit motive, an incentive for these for the uh, for Medicare to run efficiently. There's just not. You're going to have some bureaucrat up there that seems, I mean, that they might do a good job at their job, but there's no motivation for them to go above and beyond. There's just not, there's, it's just not, government systems are not good systems. They're not systems that work efficiently. But that's what we're going to have. We're going to have breakdowns in that type of system as well. You get to the Medicare for all. And then the next step that they're going to go for is we need to nationalize all the hospitals. 
I mean, look at all these hospitals. They're closing doors because they can't afford to stay open. We need to nationalize them all. They're trying to bill us for more than they can bill, you know, or more than they, they're trying to scam us for all this money. Nationalize the hospitals. That would be the next step is a national healthcare system at that point. Not a national health payment system, a national health insurance system. Separation, separate the two. Health insurance, healthcare. Medicare is a type of health insurance Healthcare. That's the next step. It would be the next step. It's an incremental step because there's always incrementalism. There is no promised land in the progressive agenda. It's you keep on moving the ball forward. Don't let on too much. Don't let don't 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 sound too crazy. We'll let a little bit of crazy Medicare for all. We'll start talking about that, and then the next step will be a national health care system. That is the, I mean, that is the next step. And that's just um, something that we need to fight against. We're libertarians. We know, like, Republicans can't defend limited government because they're for larger government. All over the world, they're for larger government. Larger, you know, more government involvement with buying more military planes and more, more military intervention all over the world. Republicans are for that stuff. They uh, they can defend it in some ways domestically, but when they say they defend it, they don't really mean it because look what happens when they're in office. We have a Republican president right now, Donald Trump. We had a Republican George W. Bush. Trillions of dollars racked up in debt. We have a trillion dollar deficit now. $22 trillion in debt. Yeah, it went up under Barack Obama. It goes up under all of them. They're all two sides of the same coin. That's all it is. So you can't... Republicans can't defend small government. But libertarians can. That's what we are. We're libertarians. We can defend small government. We can say... We, we can say there's no compromise on something like this. Well, yeah, we might sound crazy, but then we have to offer the solutions. And there are solutions to that deregulation of the insurance industry so that you can go out and you can get a catastrophic plan anything above five grand like how much can that possibly cost how much could that possibly cost anything above two grand if you if you want it anything above a thousand bucks you know anything above 10 grand y'all cover and i'll cover the rest that's doable you could pay off 10 if you had a catastrophic event where it costs a hundred thousand dollars and you, your payment of that was $10,000. Most people can afford over time to figure out how to pay that off. $10,000. You buy a car for ten grand, And most hospitals, I'm sure every hospital, if you say, I'll pay 100 bucks a month, they'll take it. Indefinitely. In- interest-free, by the way. Interest-free, by the way. I had a catastrophic event that happened... About seven years ago. And I paid that bill off for three years. I think it was actually longer than that. Four years. I told them what I could afford to pay. And that's what I paid. That's what I paid. Not once did they call me and say, Hey, we need you to up that payment. Not once did... No, I paid it. 
like I said I was going to pay. I put it on automatic bill pay and I paid it. Like a hundred bucks a month, I think it was. Because I had a catastrophic event that happened to me and I was able to afford that. But that's what they said. What can you afford? I thought if I said a hundred bucks, they were going to try to bring me up to two. What can you afford? 150? There was no negotiation on that at all. I said a hundred bucks. They said, okay. Can you put it on automatic bill pay? Yes, I can. Okay, great. And that's what we did. I bet you if I would have said 50 bucks, there would have been no negotiation either. But the government does not allow, the, the federal government with the regulation of the insurance industry doesn't allow stuff like that. You know what, why not have that type of policy, like, like your car, you'll have a gap insurance, you'll have a regular insurance policy, a gap insurance policy, and a regular scheduled maintenance policy, and all this other stuff. Like, why couldn't you have the options to do a lot of that stuff as well? Why wouldn't your, you know, why wouldn't you have that option? Because you don't, because... The government has regulated it out of existence. If you deregulated the insurance industry, you would see a lot of different changes. You'd see lots of different options for people. You definitely would. But you just don't see that today. And uh, that's the government's fault. So we don't need Medicare for all. We don't... We don't need, there's going to be somebody that'll come up with an idea... To help poor people get insurance. As a libertarian, I would say this. I mean, as a libertarian, obviously we believe that the government shouldn't do anything, but maybe at the local level, the cities can have some type of option where they, you know, you get donations to a hospital or something like that. I don't, I mean, it it would work itself out if you just got the federal government out of it things would work themselves out. People come together. People try to help each other out. Get the federal government out of it. Get the states out of it. I mean, I'm not going to tell your state what to do, but I'll fight for libertarian policies all the way down. But if a a city government wants to get involved in helping out the poor, that's fine. That's that city's prerogative to do that then. But we just need to get away from this idea that Medicare for all is a good thing. The Democrats are pushing it as a, as a, like the Medicare for some, Medicare for those who want it, is a step in the direction of where they want to go, and we don't want to give up an inch on this idea, okay? Not even an inch. So that's all I got for you guys today. I appreciate you coming out every day, joining me for the show Monday through Friday. I'll be putting out this show for you, just to make sure that you are aware of what's going on in the 2020 elections. And uh, if you'd like to, you can follow me, IonTheEmpire.com, IonTheEmpire on Facebook and on Twitter as well. And then uh, Ray at IonTheEmpire.com is my email address if you want to check me out there as well. So drop me a line if you'd like to. You can support the show at the website, or you can do that at anchor.fm slash ion2020. But the best thing you do is just keep on coming back. Oh, that's right. Subscribe to the show if it's your first time listening and you like what you hear, okay? Subscribe to the show. Come back tomorrow. You can also listen to couple hundred episodes before this one really happy that i've gotten that far never thought i would and uh five star rating and review if you can five star rating just because just because you like me uh but if you like the show even better five star rating and uh review because i would love to have great reviews so everyone can see that the show is awesome but then you could come on back tomorrow to have clear vision for 2020 
Okay, it's official. First year in sales with Ray Eaton. The website is up, firstyearinsales.com, as well as the podcast, First Year in Sales. So, if you know somebody or if you happen to be in sales, you might as well go ahead and check this thing out, right? Because it is going to help you become a better salesperson by grounding you with the habits and the skills needed to be successful in sales, especially in your first year. But even if you're not in your first year, might as well check it out because then you'll be able to get back to the basics and getting back to the basics is key in sales. I've always felt that way. So go ahead and check it out. First year in sales is ready and it's a podcast and you can do firstyearinsales.com.